Season 4 of Taboo, the Stories of Caribbean Women has been sponsored in part by Limitless Learning TT. Limitless Learning TT caters to students struggling with mathematics who reside in the United Kingdom, United States of America, and the Caribbean by providing virtual one-to-one tutoring sessions tailored and personalized to fit each student's individual needs. To set up your initial assessment or for more information, please visit www.limitlesslearningtt.com or check them out on all social media platforms at the handle LimitlessLearningTT. It's still a little bit taboo for women, particularly Caribbean women, to share their personal experiences publicly. As the old folks would say, this is a no-no, you shouldn't be airing your dirty laundry in public. There is this notion that women should suffer silently, as this somehow makes us stronger. I want to end that narrative. This podcast, Taboo, the stories of Caribbean women, is all about Caribbean women speaking up, owning, embracing, and sharing their truth in the hopes that it may help other Caribbean women. Welcome back, everyone. I am Kiara James, the creator and host of this podcast, Taboo, the Stories of Caribbean Women. Again, it's another episode, and you all know the drill. I'm here in the virtual studio, and I have a guest with me. I am going to allow her to introduce herself and then give us a brief summary of what her story entails. Sure. Hi, Kiara. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. My name is Chandra Mins. I would like to describe myself as, let's say, the, the island girl who's living in the U.S. now. I grew up in in a very small rural village in Trinidad, um, Piparo, um, which was known for a drug lord. <laughs> Um, um, a mud volcano erupting and actually is the home of Rash Otiai, the, the guy who invented Soka. So, you know, have three things to flame, fame. Um, but yeah, I grew up, I grew up poor in Trinidad. Um, and now I live in the U.S. as an engineer with a daughter and um, just navigating living in the U.S. with that Caribbean upbringing um, just navigating completely living in the U.S. almost by myself and then <sighs> dealing with my own trauma, my own wounds from growing up Caribbean, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> ah, Chandra, thank you for coming on today. I feel like this is going to be a great episode. Partially because I know Chandra. Uh, I should have said that. Uh, Chandra and I went to school together. So um, I'm very excited to have um, you come on and share your story with us um, today. So um, your story is a little bit interesting. Tell us how, because we know you're from Trinidad. Tell us how you came to be in the U.S. Uh, firstly. It's a really good question because it all seems like a twist of fate. Mm. kind of story so you and I we know each other from college but we actually went to high school you know equivalent high school equivalent together um so my days in convent oh yeah um (laughs) (laughs) it was um it was not assured um yeah I, I I mentioned we grew up poor I'm the first of four um and being a first child of parents who can't afford much, you learn to suppress yourself. You learn to be little. You learn to be helpful. You learn to be small and not occupy a lot of space because everybody else needs all that energy. Everybody else needs all that attention and everybody else needs the bandwidth. Um, So I was told to be good, be kind, be helpful, help your parents. So you're raising your your, your parents, your siblings, you're, you're, you're practically almost raising everybody, mm-hmm. to put it in a, in a blanket statement, because that's not necessarily true. My parents showed up for me. My grandparents showed up for me, too. Um, it's just you didn't get a chance to be the center of anything. You didn't get a chance to make mistakes and grow. 
Um, that being said, I, w- I did well in school uh, accidentally. And then um, people started to put some more attention on me being smart. And so my grandmother said, oh, why don't you write the SATs? And sure enough, I did. She helped me with funding for that. And I was able to get a scholarship and then go over to university in the U.S., which was unimaginable for me. It did not seem like an, an opportunity that would ever present itself. Mm-hmm. The to Coming for school and then the uh, opportunity to travel afterwards. Um, but it just, uh, like I say, a twist of fate. It was, it was easy that it could have not happened. And my life changed drastically um, <laughs> from that day that I wrote that exam to come to the U.S. because I had not traveled in the U.S. ever. I had not even gone to Tobago before I came to the U.S. Are you serious? I packed, I packed my all of my worldly belongings in this one suitcase and I wasn't sure that I was coming back. Mm. I, I had never been to Maryland. I had never been to Baltimore. You know, uh, come to find out it's the middle of a ghetto. I <laughs> didn't know all of these things. I jumped on a plane with an aunt who actually used my second suitcase to bring her shampoos and stuff. But anyway, I, I digress. Um, yeah, it was it was a grand adventure. It was stepping off the edge of a cliff with no um, no safety net. Mm. And my dad, you know, he didn't want me to come. I was very sheltered. Uh, he said, where are you going? I can't come to help you. I can't come to save you. Mm. And, and, and that's pretty much been my experience, you know. Sink or swim. There's nobody here to save you. You're going to save yourself. Mm. Oh, yeah, boy. Sink or swim. Facts, huh? So mm-hmm. now you're an engineer and you have remained in the U.S. So what has happened essentially post-university <laughs> to now? Also, also very, very good question. Um, so Morgan State was a good time. It mm. was a... Um, it was a time to discover myself, time to discover the world, start being having, start having these really interesting thoughts about people around me, and and thoughts about myself. You know, I had I had no idea what an existential crisis was before that humanities class, and where it's okay to have a mental health day. It's okay to stay in bed and not wake up. I, you know, it come from the Caribbean existential crisis. We don't know about that. <laughs> you want some licks? Uh, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. Whew. Um. So uh, tell us a little bit because your story is a sorry, little. Sorry. Yes. Yes. I. 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 I, I caught where I needed to be now. So after after um Morgan State, I did go to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to prolong this cocoon. Morgan was a cocoon. Okay. Um, they they pretty much sheltered and babied us. Uh, when I went to a majority white college, that's where I started to feel the isolation. Uh, the thing about Morgan is because there were so many Caribbean and African and just uh, black people, it was it felt like home. Yes. It, it felt like Trinidad. Yeah. yeah. And 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 they babied us. You know, you had teachers and uh, support staff who were checking in on you. Are you okay? everything okay when you go to a majority white institution they don't and i went to upstate new york where it's cold so maryland is nothing compared to upstate new york cold uh, when winter hit that time and the isolation there's nobody around me i know there is no caribbean food there's no sunshine the isolation gets to you and um I, I would say that's when a season of scarcity presented itself. It was um, it was majority male institution too, but in my mind, I felt like there were few options, few options, and the back of my head, I was twenty six at this time, you know, parents. I'm I'm the oldest, right? Mm. Well, when are you gonna get a boyfriend? When are you gonna get married? I'm in school. I'm in school for a PhD program, you know. I'm in school for a master's program, but oh, when are you gonna have kids? Because my sisters 
would have gotten married and, and had started having children. And their focus on me was school. But then immediately after, uh, when are you going to get married? So that pressure is on me. When are you going to have children? You get, you get older. Well, what if you can't have children? And all that voices, all of those voices in the back of your head, adding to this loneliness, this isolation, and this feeling like I need to, I need to, I need to just um, settle. I need to find somebody and settle down. Mm. I need to have a child, you know? And so I, I met my ex during that time. That time when I was feeling isolated and lonely and ready to settle for anything. Oh, that, 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 that's, oh, that ready to settle for anything. It caught me. Um, what would <laughs> what would have attracted you to him? Because I mean, you're saying you're ready to settle for anything, but there must have been some sort of uh, something eh, to make you be like, "Yeah, you know, there's, <laughs> there's there's something about you that's you know attractive, or I can see myself." having some sort of conversation or, ta- or spending time with you. So what was it that attracted you to him? So how we met at that time was through mutual friends and Facebook, if that's possible. Mm. So he had a friend who was doing like this over, and I'm, I'm doing like a, a tiger. <laughs> he was doing this over a tiger cub, you know, and it was a cat picture and I'm into cats and I wanted cats and he was really into cats. So he would have seen my picture and then DM'd me, you know, and, and that's how it, it started. I did go on a date with him and it felt lackluster. It felt like, all right, I don't want to see this guy again. But then I saw him like a month later or something on campus and he was minding his business. I told him, oh, good luck in your exam. He's like, I don't need luck. I was like, the arrogance on this guy, (laughs) you know, I was like, wow, to just say that to somebody who you don't even know like that, you know, in hindsight, uh, but But he, he 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 got himself in. He was teaching me to drive, you know. So we started to do driving lessons, and I'm like, all right, okay, just keep seeing this and see where it goes. And then Christmas time came around, you know. Somehow we were living together, and he was amazing for that first Christmas. Uh, you know, wrapping all these little presents and stuff for me because. I don't know why. I don't know why what, what he was doing. But Chandra, Chandra, but I didn't know then. <laughs> Chandra, wait. How we went? How we went from driving lessons to moving in for Christmas? Because it was all about my mindset. Okay. You know, I ignored these red flags. You know. So October, we started doing some driving lessons. Thanksgiving comes around. He's inviting me to his home uh, or his family. And, you know, coming from a big family to now just being one, that was an, a, a brutal separation. Um, there were eight people living in the house I lived in all my life. My parents, my grandparents, and my three siblings and myself. Nobody got time for themselves. And then all of a sudden, I'm living here by myself. I'm on my own. And and that family element, which was really critical, was missing. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm now realizing as I'm looking at it, how critical it was and, 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 and how, how it set me around down the wrong paths looking for that family, that family connection that I uh, needed. yeah. You know, um, because he invited me for Thanksgiving. We had only been seeing each other for like a week, a month or something. Mm. Um, and, and suddenly I'm home and, and they're all there and they're welcoming. And that family, to be honest, it was that family that kept me there longer than I should have stayed. Mm. It was that feeling of belonging. Yeah. <laughs> Even because it's hard to get here by myself. I have friends in New York. 
I have friends here and there. I have friends all over the world. But it's that family of that like un that acceptance, that yeah. unquestioning acceptance and you know, you, you just show up and have a good time. I, I miss that. And and that's where he got me that Thanksgiving. <laughs> so then fast forward to now Christmas, where we're doing uh, Christmas uh, presents and things. Because somehow or the other, we, we didn't talk about it, but he was now living by me. Within three months, he was living there. And <laughs> and um, it's actually his habit. It's it's These are the type, types of things he does naturally. Oh, in hindsight, you didn't know. Of, you didn't know. Uh, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, yeah. This is you kind of love bomb them in the beginning. Make sure they can't get away. Be the perfect person. Be that person that they were looking for. Because there was this one time we were on the bus together, going to get groceries or something, and there was this this disabled person trying to get food, and he stood up and helped the guy. And I was like, oh, my God, look at him. He's being so kind. Mm-hmm. He is aware. And this is exactly what I want in a partner. This is exactly what I want in a mate. And then fast forward 10 years later, someone like that, he might make a very obnoxious comment about. Mm-hmm. So he was doing it for the show in the beginning, for the uh, accolades. Yeah, you know, yeah. if, any, if nobody was watching, I, I wonder if he would have done it. Yeah. So now y'all together, living, t- living together for Christmas. <laughs> when does the proposal and the marriage come into play? It's funny, but it's just all um, nothing deliberate. You know, it was just always the easiest path, mm. the path of least resistance. Yeah, um, We both graduated. He was an undergrad and I was in grad school. I got a job first. Uh, downstate New York. Nobody really calls it downstate, but anyway. Um, <laughs> downstate New York. And uh, he decided to come with me. Uh, so he was going to be my pool boy, pool boy while I worked. So I would go to work and he'd be home uh, doing applications and stuff like that. I mean, we were so broke. We didn't, we didn't even have money to buy ramen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, was, it was bad. But the very first thing we got... When we um, went with my very first paycheck, we went and got a cat because okay. we were cat obsessed. Yes. You know? He eventually got a job that, you know, it, it was just easier for him to move with me. Okay. He moved with me. So yeah. then we officially moved together, but it was just easy. And then for propose, he didn't, he never proposed. <laughs> he, um, when I took him to visit my family for the first time, he asked my my dad. He he was very sure. He was very um, very stressed on the point of he wasn't asking permission. He was just asking my dad, um, you know that that he would probably uh, propose to me at some point. My dad. This was in the airport the first time they they met, but uh, coming back. So um, my dad was so excited. He come up to me and you know you know what this one to say? He he said <laughs> and he said, Oh, he just asked me, you know, that he's gonna ask you or something. Mm-hmm. Um he never did. I was I was coming up to a point where my H one B was gonna be up mm-hmm. and we were together, we were dating for a while, and I I thought, you know, it was a logical next step. So I asked him. I was the one who asked him. Um, you know, that it makes sense to do. I I wouldn't say I was colorful with the language or anything in terms of romantic. <laughs> you know, there was a practical reason behind it. And I, so I know I had some doubts even at that point. But coming back to how I grew up, I had really poor examples for what a happy marriage would look like. My parents and my grandparents were always arguing. There was this dynamic of one would take, 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 and the other would give, 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 give. And that was it. Mm. That was a happy marriage. Mm. And so when I fell into that dynamic again, because I was trying so hard not to be my mom, I married her. Um, Fell into the same dynamic, but that was normal to me. Mm. Right? You give. That's what you do. And somebody takes. That's what we do. 
and you just keep going back for more. So, you know, that's a good tool. That's a good tool on both of us because uh, we were desynchronized for sure. So you do the logical thing, which is uh, to get married. You mentioned that you, you know, may have potentially seen a couple of few red flags from before. Um, but, you know, the logical thing is to get married. What does this marriage now look like? Also a great question. Um, it looked a lot like the same of not married. He did what oh, he wanted. Okay. I did what I wanted. We shared the bills. We were roommates. Uh, we did things together at times. He might post something nice about me. I, I'm trying to remember the good times because it's hard in the end to, to recapture, you know, why you stayed. Because here I am, someone who had years of education, somewhat smart, you know, uh, charismatic and things like that. And then I found myself getting caught into, um, for want of a better word, an abusive situation, um, you know, so... And why did I not leave it sooner? Why didn't I leave? Because he in a, he, intermittently reinforced the good times. Mm. We'd do something. We'd go, we'd go camping. Or he'd do something nice. And then if one day of the week he did something nice, the other six days he gets to be the beast he wants to be, whatever it is. Or he gets to do what he wants to do. So in the beginning, it was okay. But again, we were young. I was in my 20s, going into my 30s. I didn't know what a marriage looked like. And him himself didn't have good examples of what a good marriage is. Even on his side of his family, divorce is common. Uh, breaking up is common. That's not common for us. When, when we decided to make that decision to have a divorce, um, we didn't take that lightly. When we when we make a decision, we in the Caribbean, when we make a decision to get married, it's not one we make lightly. Because for us, marriage is a sacred institution. And there's a lot of stigma to divorcees, especially in the Caribbean. Um, so it wasn't a decision taken lightly. Um, but he also didn't have good examples of what happy marriages look like. And whenever we used to have a fight, He'd be like, but so-and-so didn't do this or they didn't do that to justify his actions and never to ever actually address the problem in the room. Mm. Yeah. So when did things start becoming like so difficult that you were like, okay, mm, I don't know if this is something that I want to stay in for the long run, or maybe like thoughts of divorce were popping up. Like what exactly, I don't want to say like was the straw that broke the back, but I want to know like what were some of the things that were popping up that were making you second guess uh, whether you should stay in the marriage or not? It was a case of debt by a thousand cuts, for real. Um, you know, there'd be an insult here or a statement here, or something said in an argument that comes back to me and I'm like, but this isn't right. And if I ask about it, they're, they're just like, forget about it. You're, you're just dwelling. You're too emotional. You're too this. You're too that. It's always you, mm. you know, you. But then there was this time his mom was supposed to come to Trinidad with us, but she didn't want to if her boyfriend wasn't coming. So he brought his aunt instead. So we put up his aunt and her boyfriend in Tobago for a while and on the very last day, my parents had come over. They had come and stayed. On the very last day, the aunt and them were supposed to come back to Trinidad and have like a meal at my house. Nobody got the chance to go to my house. You know, I took them to like a, a vacation home and mm. that sort of stuff. Mm. I kind of wanted, I thought I was bonding with the aunt so that she could see where I came from because yeah. I came from very humble beginnings. They missed their plane. And they were so unap unapologetic about it. I paid for them to come. I, uh, so that was just money down the drain. And then when I came back to join them to come to the U.S., I was 
pissed. I was mad because my parents showed up. They did the best they could. They they created this like party, you know, food and stuff now mm-hmm. for, for them. And then they couldn't come. And then they just were like, eh, no big deal. Up to now, he says, oh, she was mad I didn't come to a party. But it wasn't a party, though. Yeah. It was a special occasion for for her, his aunt to come and meet my parents in my in, in in my own home that I grew up in. And he he always minimized it. And and after that, I came back and I told him I want a divorce. And he never got why. <laughs> Your face. Um I told him I want a divorce. Um yeah, and I didn't move out. We just we didn't sleep in the same bed for a few months until eventually I just let go of it. Never got resolved. Never talked about it. Didn't do therapy. We just fell back into like what was easy. Mm. What was easy is to just go about business as usual. <sighs> Don't fight it. But when it actually did happen though, um, like about... A year after this, mm-hmm. he decided in secret that he was going to go find other people to talk to, which he revealed to me in an argument after we were preg- after we found out I was pregnant. So then I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere. But then he told me he was um, meeting up with women to practice being single. You know? Yep. Because I told him I want a divorce, right? So he's making those those extra steps. He's he's getting ahead of the story, I guess. Instead of fixing what was wrong with us, he went to find something else because, you know, that's I'm the flawed one here. Okay, so I, I need to pause for, for one second. I I need to pause you. Cause I wanna make sure that I have like the events correctly. So you came back after that experience from Tobago. You were like, you know what? I want a divorce. You all started making the movements like if you were getting separated. So we're sleeping in separate beds, blah, 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 blah. Things get back. You know, you fall back into a pattern. And then is it that you got pregnant first? And then he said he wants to practice being single. Or did he say he wanted to practice being single? (laughs) And you got... And then you you got pregnant. How? Okay, timeline, timeline. Yeah, timeline, so timeline. A year after this is when he started seeing them without me knowing. Okay. I didn't know. So he did that for a good six to eight months. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant. During that time. And during that okay. time. Mm-hmm. And that's when he told me he's been seeing people. Okay, was a pregnancy planned? Yes, it was planned. So, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, reverse back a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, just um, from day one, I knew I wanted a kid. I knew I wanted a child. I'm, I'm, I like children. So we got married uh, December 31st in 2013. January 1st, we were having our celebra- celebratory dinner. And we were talking about kids. He's like, oh, well, I don't need to have any. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I just do? He does not want oh, children. The, 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 <laughs> I just got married and he doesn't want children. He could he could care less. Um, you know, and then we kind of hobbled along. Two years into the marriage, four years into the marriage, no children and and then suddenly into the marriage maybe like three years into the marriage he said well i'm going to grad school upstate you know there was no discussion there was no there was no like let's put these things on on the table these are my dreams he's going to school and that's it of course i would have supported him mm-hmm. but i'm his wife these are decisions you talk to me together we have we have this this conversation but no, um, he made that decision on his own. And I knew the impact was no child. I'd be raising that child on my own if I, if, I, if I had one then. But ultimately, I got tired of waiting. So four years. You know, he was supposed to be in grad school for like three years. Mm-hmm. Three years passed. 
we're up to like five now, maybe six now, and nothing's happening. So I told him, you know what? That's it. I'm going off the pill. I want I want to have a kid. That's it. I told him the same way he told me. <laughs> we're going to grad school. Yeah, we're going to have a kid. Um, it's not a, it's not a democracy in this case. And so I got pregnant. He was not on board at first, but then got on board. And then now he's daddy of the year. Okay. So you said the final straw for you was when he said, well, he was practicing being single because you wanted to get divorced. So is this final straw happening while you're pregnant after you had a baby? What is the timeline for that as well? Sure. It was a, a couple months in my pregnancy. So like two, three months pregnant dealing with um, a lot of insecurity you know, um, so why wasn't I good enough? Why was he going after this other woman? And I spent a lot of time combing social media, uh, looking at his profile. Who are these women? Because he wouldn't tell me either. You know, he, he dropped a bomb. Pregnant self. Hormones take over. Yeah, he's seeing other people. But he won't tell me what, who, why. And he and eventually, when it came down to it, when I found out who, because... You know, we are now women. Detective skills are very on point, especially especially Caribbean women. Anyway, so I found out who. And then, you know, up to this day, he keeps secrets. Like, she would have confided in him things, and he wouldn't tell me what. Me, his wife, her, her confidant, that she was a, a, she was a friend from a long time, but she wasn't really a friend who was hitting on his friend, but not really, yeah, ugh complicated but I was pregnant and we started therapy and um the therapist basically told me don't make any um quick decisions right now because really and truly that should have been the day because yeah he said something wrong he didn't do this it doesn't it's not enough to walk away from somebody but infidelity that's my hard line (laughs) if I ever had a hard line that was Mm. it Mm. um so I didn't walk away when I felt like I should have. The ther- the therapist said, you know, um, don't don't make any decisions. So baby came. We moved from one place to another. He didn't want to move. It was a one bedroom we were in. And he didn't want to move to this other place. But I needed to move because I'm going to have a baby. I'm about to pop. And we only have one bedroom. And, and, and it was a crazy driveway. And it, it was a, a, a not a good situation. But he was dragging his feet on everything if i wanted a he wants z uh, it was just opposite opposite for just being opposite sake at that point so i said all right we'll wait till the baby comes see what's happening baby came three months six months uh, i'm starting to see it. it's not going to work and for me i i saw the path that led me here Seeing my parents and my grandparents have a toxic relationship, a toxic marriage, and they normalize that for me is not something I want for my daughter. I do not want her to now live. I, 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 was, I sat down and I said, if someone was treating her the way he's treating me, would I be okay with that? And the answer was no. So I was not going to normalize it for her. Mm. And that's when August of 2020 maybe like uh, five months after she was born, I was done. That was it. And, and he didn't know at the time. Like he, he thought he could come back because he always comes back, right? But not that time. My question would be, so I feel like I can see a lot of things that he would have did wrong being like trying to be very super, super, super objective. Um, what are some of the things that you felt like you did wrong? Cause I mean, a marriage, we, we keeping it real, a marriage is two people coming together. And I feel like no one person is responsible for the demise of relationships. So he did his 
things, and we know this, what are some of the things you felt that you contributed to, whether in the moment or in hindsight, that you felt led to the demise of the marriage? I have a hot mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, but not being grown. So I would have been in my early twenty, late twenties, going into thirties, but not grown enough. Mm. Uh, you, you think you're grown up, but you're not. Life will treat teach you that you're not grown enough. Um, so I didn't heal my own wounds. I didn't he he. I wasn't aware of them. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't aware of them. So that brought it in sight. Um, and then just not being ready. I wasn't ready for marriage. I, I hadn't lived on my own. I went from living with my parents to living in a dorm with roommates to then living with a man. I never lived by myself, mm. moved by myself, take my garbage out for myself, decorated myself. And as I was mentioning to you when we started, <laughs> there is uh, there is some some strength in in capturing that living by yourself, knowing yourself, being okay with your own your own company. There were a lot of insecurities that I had to deal with, mm. and I had to accept and embrace. You know, and if I could have gone into the marriage the way I am, I wouldn't say it would have been successful because it takes two, but I, all of this has gotten me to the point where I can identify what my boundaries are. I, I have boundaries now, you know, mm. uh, I, I know what my love language is and how to express it. I know how to communicate better. Mm. I know how to problem solve better, you know, um, approach things as an us, this is a, a me, this is you kind of uh, mentality. And another thing I've been learning in work is this separation of identity and role. Your identity is not your role. So if you're a child, if you're a mother, if you're a student, if you're smart, if you're an engineer, that doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. If you have a problem in your job, that does not reflect on your self-worth. And earlier on in my career, it did. Everything mattered. I was so fragile. Um, every single comment. I, my, my skin was very thin. And that's not necessarily on me, but a product of how I grew up. But I learned to, to thicken that up. And then just, I could be me, happy with me, independent of other people's opinions, independent of other people's thoughts. I could validate me first. So I don't need that validation from somebody else like a partner. You know, it's nice to be recognized. Mm. But it, it starts with you, mm. a big thing. And this whole growth thing, all of this that I've gone through, it starts with you. You have that strength. You control your narrative. You control your mindset. You're the one who is driving here as much as possible as, as we can be driving, yeah. considering. <laughs> <you know? laughs> So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, you uh, got to your final straw where you're like, okay, this is it now. Like, there ain't no coming back from this. This is the end, 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 end. Goodbye, peace out, deuces, right? However, you are in a country without any family members close by. Or maybe friends close by. You also just had a baby, you know. Um, baby is not even a year old. Um, and you are going through that separation slash divorce process. What the hell did that look like? Because just seeing, it, seeing it, <laughs> me just, me just seeing it is a lot. Because I'm like, oh, this and this and this. So like, you actually going through that process. One, did you did you feel like you have had support, or 
what just what did that journey look like for you at that point in time? And then you also said 2020. So we're talking about like COVID. We don't like to mention that word, but COVID times <laughs> as well. That's so right. How how did you navigate that? process or that time I should say between I have decided we're getting a divorce and actually getting the, the divorce finalized with a baby during COVID. You're not strong. You don't know how strong you are until you have to be strong. Yeah? Fox. Fox. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I luckily found a friend who was going through something similar and we were each other's support system. I tell you, there were a lot of dark nights there are a lot of nights where I, I drank, you know, to deal because that's what I saw my dad do too. And I'm pulling back from that, you know, I've pulled back hard from that. But, you know, I did seek solace in alcohol. That helped me for a little bit. I, I did have friends who tried to keep me busy. Um, it's, it's hardest when she's not here when my baby's not here, because that's, you know, she occupies my time. And so I find myself being a full-time mom and a full-time worker and a full-time homemaker, everything when she's here, um, you know, carrying all of those roles. And then when she's gone, it's just me and there's silence. And, um, and that, that's hard too. Um, so trying to find things to do, or maybe right now it's just enjoy the solitude, enjoy the quiet. But in terms of resources, I basically had the internet, <laughs> find divorce lawyers, uh, find therapists to help me. Uh, it was all on me. It was, um, if you want something done, you have to go do it. Hmm. Uh, and I miss that. I miss somebody telling me what to do. I miss somebody telling me, go do your homework now or, or you know, take that responsibility, take that pressure off. Um, it, it's, it's hard. Everybody needs a community. I, I see that now. I see the value in it. Everybody needs, no man is an island. Mm. And especially with a child, they need to form that relationship too. They need seeing other kids. And, and that that's just forming a healthy, rounded person, someone who has these networks, who has community. So I've been trying to find that more now. I do have friends. Um, I do, I've been trying to make friends with the neighbors, whoever the kids, you know, she forms that too. Um, pretty much I've been trying to make New York my home, whatever that looks like. Uh, it, in, in terms of the home I'm building, but in terms of the upbringing that I'm giving her, I'm trying to give her Caribbean, but but also just rounded. Yeah. Yeah, she loves mangoes. And I talk like, <laughs> mango, not mango. <laughs> so when she's in my house, she has to say, mango. <laughs> mango. <laughs> and how has it been? Or I, maybe I should say, how has the co-parenting journey been has it been stressful has it maybe started out stressful and gotten better what has that looked like for you as well again the only thing you have control over is you hmm. so in the beginning i would react to everything because everything was there to provoke me because i rejected him right i divorced him i kicked him out so I'm going to pay for the rest of my life. And mm. that's been the approach to co-parenting. And in the beginning, I would react. It was hurting. It was hurtful. It was hard. And over time, it's hurting less and less. Mm. And the more I validate myself, the more I self-aware become, um, the less it matters. And when I start to see the games... Just don't react or just don't play into it. Don't engage. Mm. Um, because co-parenting hasn't been easy. It's, again, a case of if I want A, he wants Z, regardless of what is right for the baby. And, and ultimately, I'm trying to put her needs first 
and her upbringing, her whatever, whatever it is that's best for her first, um, which is hard at times. I'm not that altruistic. I can be petty. (laughs) I can be very petty. So I have to fight that and I have to pull back on that. Now that you, well, you've had that experience of being in a marriage and I I guess learning yourself, knowing the things that you want, the things you don't want, um, what you also want for your daughter um, and things moving forward. Do you feel like now, now that you've had that experience and, you know, you're growing into the new Chandra and, you know, bettering yourself. Do you feel like marriage is in the cards again for you? Or you feel like, okay, I had this horrible experience and me not doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing they don't tell you, it's easy to get married. It's harder to get divorced. Foxer. Woo, girl. It's expensive. (laughs) It's expensive. And then the one who initiates is the one who pays most of it too. But I'm optimistic about marriage. I I do think as an institution, it can serve us well if we enter into it with the right mindset. I do love love still. I'm still optimistic in general because, um, you know, Life, man. These past five years, I've lived so much life, and, and it, the hits keep coming. <laughs> um, but once you go through something like a divorce, that they, whatever comes at you won't keep you down. Mm. At the top of the year, uh, my position got eliminated at a very highly lucrative pharmaceutical company. You know, I was um, subjected to the same tech cuts too. And that floor, well, I wouldn't say it floored me, but it was just hard to go through by myself, right? There's no, there's no partner mm. going to help me there. Uh, uh, it's, I have to succeed. I have to get a job and I have to get money for my child because there's nobody giving me money. Mm. It's all on me. All of these bills have to get paid. Um, all of her needs need to get met. <clears throat> so, you know, I tried to take it easy. Uh, by mid-March, I had something again. So I do have a new job, and I, I, I'm really happy with it now. Um, and then what I'm seeing is that after you come off of something like that type of marriage, a toxic, abusive situation, to then getting into divorce and having come over that, nothing can keep you down. It's really all up to you, how you set your mind. Mm. So there's love in the card, is what you're saying. You're ready to meet them, is what you're saying. Because that's, all, that's all I heard. That's all I heard, huh? I'm I hear anything else. That's what it. I heard. I'm open to it. There is a guy in the periphery. Mm-hmm. But I like this alone time. Mm. I like this freedom. And I had somebody warn me, mm. don't get used to it. You might love it too much. Mm. You're loving it, girl. You know? Uh, so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, you know... I, I think if, if one thing I would say to the younger me, get to know yourself. Be alone with yourself. Be okay with being alone. You know? Uh, somebody coming along isn't going to solve all of your problems magically. You have to deal with them. And then, you know, maybe something happens, but everything is still temporary. Everything is temporary. Everything is a season. We like to think, you know, and this is where I, I, my approach to marriage was different. I thought that was it. You go in, you get married, you stay the same, and you're together for 50, 40 years, wherever. But that's, the, that's a misconception. We change. We're always changing. And mm-hmm. people in marriage change. Either you change together or you change apart. And we changed apart because mm. we couldn't, we weren't together from the beginning. We didn't have each other's best interests in mind. And that was, that's one of the things that therapist said. We don't trust each other to make the right decisions for the other. And I don't know when that broke down. I don't know if it ever existed. Mm. Maybe it didn't. Mm. Um, you know, 
And that's something else to explore at some point. Mm. Well, um, this is the last question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm saying this is the last question, but I'm also taking in the, the things that you said before because it's really, it's really true. Like, I think sometimes you go in with this idea, or uh, maybe it's, I don't know if that's how we're conditioned or not, that you find this person and it's forever and you think that you just <laughs> remain how you will when you come in. But the fact is that it's not possible. There's no way that the you that you are today is will be the same person that you were a month ago or uh, two years ago or however long ago. And it really is about whether you can grow together or not, essentially, right? So I'm asking the question, but like I'm taking it in an Ikea charger here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, facts, <laughs> right? Uh, so last question, uh, which is the, the question that I asked all my guests is, if you had a key message or at least one thing that you want um, the listeners to know, if anything, after listening to your story, if there's that, just that one thing you want them to walk away with, what would that be? What would that message be? I think I have more than one. I do have a couple of them. Okay. Um, one of them being choose wisely, right? Um, when you decide to get married, when you decide to become a parent, it's better to see who they are, flaws and all, from the beginning than to find out in the end. That's the worst time to find out. <laughs> um, but choose wisely, deal with your insecurities. We all have them, you know. Yeah. Everybody has insecurities. Um, you're not special like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't rush. There's there's nothing to rush. There's so much we don't have control over. Don't have somebody put a timeline on you that's not your own timeline. Oh. Know yourself. Have some boundaries. Have some, write down some boundaries, you know, what, what are deal breakers for you um, so that you solidify in your head what is good and what is bad for you. Um, it may not be the same for everybody else, but it's better than being open to everything. You know, I like to think I'm open-minded and non-judgmental and things like that, but there, there are limits and there should be limits to those. Um, you shouldn't be open-minded to everything. There's wrong and right, and there's good and bad. So just have boundaries and just travel, live. That's how you grow. These are some great. I feel like these are some great tips. I want to be stealing some of these tips. I'm going to be telling people, listen, <laughs> have boundaries, travel, live. But facts, though, on all of those things. Thank you so much, um, Chandra, for coming on today, for sharing your story with us, for being so open. Um, and to those who are listening, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. And I'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.